For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. I mean, here's a guy that criticizes everybody, whoever they take. He's got the answers to uh, who you should take and who you shouldn't take. And all of a sudden, he's an expert. He's in our paper two days ago telling us who we have to take. We're back with another episode of the Believe in NFL Draft Prospects podcast. This week, we've got a packed episode coming to you after the week of Thanksgiving. We have a running back who had a historic day in this year's draft class. We're going to talk about how this game impacts his draft stock overall for this upcoming draft cycle. We've got some hot takes and takeaways from the week. We've also got a list of underwhelming players who haven't done very, very good so far this season and are playing under the expectations that many people had for them and also that we had for them coming into the season. Lastly, we're going to wrap things up with our stat sheet stuffers. Before we get into that, though, folks, I would like to share you a, a quick message from our sponsors, that being Bet Online. The NFL season is in full swing, so is college football, and you might not be able to be at these games this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. I know I love to use Bet Online for whenever I'm, you know, rolling in on a Sunday and I, there's a couple games that I know are locks or some some easy picks that I just want to make a few dollars, put a couple dollars down and make some back. The one thing that I love doing right now is putting any money on whoever the Jets are playing to cover, and that's just that's such easy money. I know if you're not doing that, you need to get on Bet Online and start doing it as well. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online, and there's always the online casino as well. So head to betonline.ag today to take advantage of all of the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. So, guys, the the one thing that lit the college football world on fire in term in terms of some senior guys and one particular guy, everybody was watching this stat line throughout the entirety. We're talking about Jared Patterson, a player who's been named as a stat sheet stuffer so far. The running back from Buffalo against Kent State in a in a victory game, a seventy to forty nine victory. Talk about Maction. 36 carries for 409 yards and eight touchdowns. Patterson exploded for a tied record for most touchdowns in a game. So the question I want to, as we like to do with any storylines that have relevance to draft prospects, we like to try and relate this back to how this affects things in the NFL draft. So Alex, I want to go go to you first today. Do you think a performance like this is going to help a guy like Patterson's draft stock, maybe not significantly, but just maybe in terms of name recognition? I, I think, yeah, name recognition. That's a good point because I think from the media's point of view, this is a game that is getting his name trending on Twitter. He was trending on Twitter yesterday after him being on pace for it at halftime, getting as close as he did, and then coach pulling him. You know, that's just another story for another day. You got to you gotta get – the record it, for the program for the kid. Jarrett Patterson had a chance to to get the record for most 
touch rushing touchdowns in a single game. Ended up tying the record. But no, uh, Jarrett Patterson is someone that's really come on this year. Uh, someone that we talked about. I know Ryan was uh, fairly high on coming into the season. Someone that he was uh, talking talking up and. Uh, that could blow up this season, and he's really done just that. He was your stat sheet stuffer last week with a huge performance. I think he's just he's just carrying that workload for that offense, and he, man, he just doesn't go down. That's what it is. I mean, the the runs he had yesterday were so impressive. It was just breakaway run after breakaway run. He's, I don't think he's much of a guy that's gonna do well in space. I think he's more of a north south runner at the next level. He kind of you know is a high tight you know get up and down the football field and. And that's fine. That's just that's just where he is. I don't think he's going to push for being one of the top couple running backs in this draft class. I don't think he he has anything on Travis Etienne, Najee Harris, you know, guys at the top. But Jared Patterson's having the year that you know a lot of people wish Chuba Hubbard was having right now. And you know, I got to throw out my Chuba Hubbard hate, you know, when I can since I've I've been very low on him throughout this process. But no, Jarrett Patterson has done everything he needs to do and in this weird 2020 season where all he's going to get is a bunch of Mac opponents. He's done everything he can to to raise up big boards this year. And I, I know Alex doesn't want to talk about it, but I am sure going to talk about it because I was actually really tuned into this game because I actually um, Rachel Lindsay, who works for the Buffalo News, had a feature that came out on Jared Patterson on Friday. So earlier in the week, she had actually called me. We had a conversation about Jared Patterson specifically and what, what I thought about him. And I think Jordan Reed from the Draft Network and Tony Pauline were, were the other uh, draft analysts that were featured in the piece. And she just wanted to know, hey, like how serious is the hype and how serious is the draft rise for a guy like Jared Patterson? And I was firmly in the, in the, in the um, camp, and I, I think that Reed and Pauline were similar. He's an early day three guy that could push being somewhere on day two if he tests well and he does everything um, consistently that he's been doing. Because, I mean, the start that he has, 300 yards last week, over 400 this week, the first player since Ricky Williams to go back-to-back 300-plus-yard games, which, I mean, <laughs> compared to anything to Ricky Williams coming out of Texas is, is pretty insane because that, that guy was one of the best college running backs of all time. But I want to really highlight the moments that Alex talked about, a little bit about him getting pulled there at the end. I mean, this guy was early in the second quarter, had over 200 yards, tweeted out, you know, pretty early at that point, hey, like, this is a this is a watch, right? Samaj P. Ryan has the NCAA record with 427 yards. This kid might be in that conversation today. And then he scores five touchdowns before half, and then I'm like, huh, before it kind of got, like, blow up a little bit, I'm like, let me go look what the record is for rushing touchdowns in a game. Right. So, um, Kalen Balage had eight total touchdowns for Arizona State a few weeks ago. I mean, a few years ago for Arizona State. But the record holder for rushing touchdowns in a game was eight by Howard Griffith, who was a fullback in the NFL, played at the University of Illinois, and that was 1990. So, th- to paint this picture, right, at some points in the fourth quarter, I'm like, eh, probably going to fall a little short here. And then he scores a couple touchdowns pretty quick fashion in the fourth quarter. And he's sitting there at three, um, I think it was 385 and eight touchdowns. He had tied the record. He is now 43 yards away from breaking the rushing record. So Kent State's scoring all day. Dustin Crumb's doing a nice job. That, that, team, that offense is doing its part. They score a touchdown with about four minutes left, four minutes and 30 seconds or so, and they kick an onside kick. So 43 yards away from the record, where does the Buffalo Bulls recover this onside kick? 
the 43 <laughs> yard line. I'm like, this is it, destiny. He's they're going to give him to him every single play. He's going to get 43 yards. He's going to score the game one touchdown. He's going to end with 428 yards and nine touchdowns rushing. That's going to happen. And then it's going along great. They get a first down. They're down at the 19 yard line. They have they're they're there right 19 yards away from the record book in in two different fashions. Then flashes across the screen. Jared Patterson's coming off. Kevin Marks comes in, gets a four-yard gain, and then the very next play scores a 15-yard touchdown. Oh Lance Leipold, man. I, I, Lance Leipold is a great coach. He really is. He's done a great job at Buffalo. And I know that it's not his job to investigate the record books and to see where guys are. But, hey, man, there's coaches on staffs that are, that are just – um, they're just responsible for making sure that the head coach has the right um, type of bubble gum. So I would hope that at some point one of these coaches would look and be like, Lance, he is 19 yards away from this record, two different records. And I know after the game he was kind of like, oh, I was really upset. I, I at least want him to get the touchdown record if nothing else. So he fell a little short, tied the touchdown record. I was just, man, I was furious. I wanted to see history yesterday, man. We always saw history in two different ways. But unfortunately, he falls 19 yards short of breaking the record, and he does tie the record. But either way, no matter how you slice this, right, over 400 yards, eight touchdowns, a historic day for Jared Patterson. And I think that if he tests well, he has that low center of gravity, kind of been comparing him to Ray Rice a little bit stylistically. I think there's some parallels there. If he can prove that he can catch the football consistently, any tests relative to you know just a, a solid NFL athlete for the position – I think he could potentially rise somewhere on day two and all of a sudden. No matter how no matter how you spin it, this is an all-time performance. This is probably the greatest running rushing performance of all time. I mean, coming so close to the yardage total, tying the the touchdown. I mean, this is all time. We I mean, that really is history. And I, I wish he could have got his name on top of both of those records at the end of the day, like Ryan said. But, no, this is probably the greatest rushing performance, especially in a modern day of football where passing is, is so prevalent in, in football across the nation. And at the rate that we're at with Patterson and what he's done over the past few games, heck, maybe next week is the week that he breaks the record. He's, he's been gradually working his way up with more and more yards each week. So maybe at that rate of progression, he actually breaks it. The one thing I just want to wrap this up with, I mean, I think the, the best way to answer how this really impacts his his draft stock based on what you guys have talked about. If you're able to go for 409 on 36 carries, you got some juice to you. You know, you're playing against Mac opponents regardless. You've got some wiggle. You've got some talent. If you can put up that kind of um, quality of numbers, I think that that's proven that he's capable of playing in the NFL based on what he's shown. Maybe not a, a day two early guy like some of these other players, because they're just a little bit more dynamic playing against bigger competition the more realistic thing is he is draftable. He's going to be a name that people talk about because of the performances that he's had uh, throughout the remainder of the season. And maybe if he continues on this trajectory, he can put himself in that, that Doak Walker um, type of conversation, or maybe hell even in, in that Heisman, Heisman conversation, if he puts up another, another performance like that. Um, Ryan, you look like you got something to say. Do you have anything you want to throw in there? <laughs> I, I, I was sorry. I was just going to say that for when you're evaluating prospects, right? Like, so we're, you talked about the MAC competition, and people are going to talk about the level of competition. When you are an NFL prospect and legit NFL prospect, you need to dominate the level of competition that you play on if you're a low, lower level prospect. And he is, by all accounts, 
the best player on the field every single week that he plays in the MAC. So that's one of those boxes that we check off. We're going to see, obviously, with the level of competition bump, just how talented he is moving forward when he makes that jump. But it is nice to see that he is not leaving any questions on, like, oh, he's he's a little you know sporadic on a week to week basis against the MAC. No, every week. If 300 yards last week, 400 yards this week, like he is absolutely dominating and he's the best football player on the field. Let's get on into our team building and NFL draft related hot takes and takeaways. I'm going to go first, guys, with one that is very relevant right now. Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn were fired from their positions, head coach and general manager with the Detroit Lions after a sloppy game against the Houston Texans on Thanksgiving, a game that has pretty big importance for Detroit fans for them to go out there and look bad was basically the final nail in the coffin for them to be fired and them to now start over. We've seen a a team that many expected to be competitive with a, a strong quarterback in Matthew Stafford. They need to build around him. They need to build up their defense and none of that happened through Bob Quinn as their general manager. And then also Matt Patricia just was not able to rally those guys and get them playing at a high level. I want to put this out there, and I I don't think that this is too outlandish of a take. I think that a lot of people agree with me right now, but they need to start over entirely. Whoever they bring in, they need to bring in with an intent to start fresh, and I'm talking specifically a quarterback. I think that when you have a 32-year-old Matthew Stafford, do you want to put yourself in a spot like the Giants were a couple years ago when they brought in Pat Shermer and Dave Gettleman? Do you want to just try and continuously push – push this team to make the playoffs when it's clearly just not there across the board. This team is, has a lot of holes at a number of important positions. And the way that you're going to fix that is investing young through the draft. So what they need to do is move on from Matthew Stafford. They need to trade him, get whatever draft capital you can for a team that's desperate to figure out their quarterback situation, a team that is more readily prepared to win right now and go, go and grab a guy in the first round this year and solidify that that young quarterback spot. Build around a young guy instead of a 32-year-old Matthew Stafford that you're basically just wasting away at his 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 career. He's not going to be that good for much longer. I understand guys are playing good into their end of their 30s, but how much more are you going to get out of Matthew Stafford who's been a, a decent quarterback with limited resources around him? They need to start fresh. They need to get somebody new. They need to bring somebody um, somebody young in to bring in some more juice to this this uh, Lions offense. Yeah, and that's not and that's not a test. You know, that's not a knock on Matthew Stafford. I agree with you. I just wanted to say this real quick: is Matthew Stafford still, I think, a top ten to twelve, maybe fifteen quarterback in the NFL? It, but like you said, their winning window is not in the same window that Matthew Stafford is at the top of his game. And I, and I completely agree with you. I think I think Matthew Stafford deserves better. I right. think he is a quarterback that has been purged with this terrible franchise for his whole career to this point, but no, I think I think you're you're completely spot on. I think they need to just clean house with the talent that they have on their roster currently and just kind of start clean. Yeah, and I think that I think the maybe even bigger rebuild is Matt Patricia's a defensive coach, right? Like he went in there and he built yeah. his defense <laughs> square pegs to round holes would be uh, putting it very nicely to him, right? Like he is, he has made his personnel to the degree now where a new coach coming in, a new general manager coming in has, it's a massive reload just on the defensive side of the ball. And then on offense, right? Like 
DeAndre Swift, TJ Hawkinson, they're nice pieces. Some offensive linemen that are worth talking about. Taylor Decker at left tackle. But then why who what wide receiver is under contract? Marvin Jones has gone after this year. Kenny Galladay's contract is running out. There's a reload not only on the outside wide receiver position, potentially, unless they get Galladay back. But defensively, that is a complete massive rebuild that needs a lot of work that is not going to be ready, like Alex said, in that window for Matthew Stafford to be successful. And it's a shame because I think Matthew Stafford is a very good quarterback when healthy and when when moving along. It's just it's it's not going to match up timeline-wise to what is going to be best for the franchise. And breaking news on the podcast, Lions fans are actually donating yeah. <laughs> to Deshaun Watson's quarterback, his charity, because he did, he put the the cherry on top to the Matt Patricia firing. That's, That's just fantastic. hilarious, you know, right as we're talking about That's it. That's fantastic. I saw that, too. I was wondering what you were trying to show us with your phone that we couldn't see because it was too blurry. Yeah, but <laughs> I figured you couldn't. No, that, I saw that, too. That's, that's absolutely fantastic that they're doing it. They should be thanking... Deshaun Watson for helping them basically get rid of Matt Patricia. Arguably, if they won that football game, he'd probably still be there. And it's very clear that that Patricia wasn't the guy. But you guys all said it perfectly. What are you really going to get with Matthew Stafford as you're trying to fix this defense? Get rid of him now as he's he's still in the end of his his possible prime years. He's got like three or mm-hmm. four more years till he's probably going to start regressing. Trade him to a team like the Colts that maybe if Philip Rivers decides to retire. Uh, trade him to a 49ers team if they're willing to make the move and trade some picks to 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 fix their quarterback situation because they're in win-now mode. There's a lot of teams out there, more than I think we're willing to expect, that they can move him to and actually get some decent draft capital. If you can get a, at least a first round and some some additional picks, I think that's a very smart move for this, for this Lions team. Alex, I want to head to you now because you've got a very interesting take based on the head coaching situations for two teams. What is what? Uh, where do you sit on this? Yeah, so I got one from the NFL, one from college football, and these are two coaches that names are constantly, you know, across Twitter as far as you know these guys should be fired. Firstly, Adam Gase, the worst coach in the NFL. Uh, obviously, the, the start Incorrect. that the. Who? Uh, who's Matt worse? Patric- Matt Patricia is way worse than Adam Gase. Well, oh, he's not a head coach anymore. Yeah, he's not a head coach anymore. Technicalities. Technicalities. It's fine. All right. Yeah. No, the worst coach in the NFL is Adam Gase, and uh, that's still there. No. So Adam Gase is the the coach going into the season. Everyone expected him to be the first fired. You know, the first one to go in the middle of the season. What are they? Owen? What what week are we? Owen eleven. Owen ten. Owen eleven. And he's still he's still chugging around, and and I don't. I, Look, if you haven't fired him to this point, he's staying for the rest of the season. So my my take is that Adam Gase and the one I'm going to talk about here in a second, Jim Harbaugh, will last through the end of the season and and they'll make it through the end of the season. Jim Harbaugh, Michigan, worst start relative to expectations in a very very long time. Uh, this pre- that's been the mantra of his his era at Michigan: uh, high expectations, but can't fulfill those expectations set by the the media, fans, and everything else. But uh, much like Adam Gase, if he hasn't been fired to this point, uh, a new low, the winless Penn State Nittany Lions, you know, beat him up, uh, you know, Saturday. So I, I don't think he's going anywhere. Yeah, I think what he does, I think the the boosters, I think uh, from a recruiting perspective, he does too much. And I know we talked about him a couple a couple weeks ago, but I think he does too much that the school is not willing to to fire him. He's he's too much of a Michigan guy, you know, University of Michigan guy. These two coaches are the two highlights of Twitter talking about 
who needs to be fired next, you know, both in the NFL and in college football. And I think both of these guys are going to make it through the end of the season and potentially on to next. (laughs) Well, Jim Harbaugh is not going to get fired. I'm telling you, man, he's going to resign before he is fired. So I agree with that take. Adam Gase, like, I don't understand what what the Jets are holding on to. They already have Greg Williams in place who has done the interim thing before, right? Like, just get the guy out of here. Get crazy eyes somewhere else. Let Greg Williams finish out the year. Who gives a shit, right? Like, at that point – Let's find what's going to work best. I think they already have a general manager, and I think the part of the problem is with that conversation is Joe Douglas sticks up for Adam Gase for whatever the reason is, even though I think that Joe Douglas is going to be a good GM, and I think he did a really nice job with his first draft here. Keep him in place. Find a new coach. Let's get this thing moving forward. Hey, maybe Jim Harbaugh is going to come to the Jets, um, Alex. Maybe, Maybe he's going to wear the gangrene. I would argue, I would actually argue, Ryan, before we get to your takeaway, Maybe it's a it's an organizational plan where they're pretending to you know we still support you Adam we're gonna see what you do but like imagine if they bring it if they fire him and they bring in Greg Williams who's actually a competent coach and maybe could go out there and win a football game or two could you imagine after all of the the crap football they've put out there they win two games and now the Jaguars are picking first overall they're in a I know tanking is not a a thing in the NFL. But I'm willing to bet the part of the thing that they've considered, well, if we keep Adam around, we're going to go 0-16. We were already on this trajectory. Let's just let him finish out, and maybe we can get Darnold out there and trade him for something if he looks okay. Um, but like, you, you don't want to put the, the smarter guy out there if you're already on this on this this horrendous trajectory to go 0-16. You need to go 0-16 to win the to, to win the sweepstakes for Trevor. So you don't want to you don't want to ruin that by putting Greg Williams out there and letting him win a football game. It's it's a good point. I I don't th- I don't think the Jaguars are are as worried. I, I think they kind of think that they're already out of the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes, though. Even though they only have one victory to the Jets, one because hey, I would have just kept Jake Luton in there if, if I was uh if I had no right. business winning any football games. <laughs> Doug Marone also. We didn't mention Doug Marone is one of the worst coaches in the NFL. That dude is terrible, by the way. Just, yeah, he just can't control his players. No. So what's your what's your takeaway before we get into some underwhelming prospects thus far this season? I think that in this season that we've seen so much uncertainty and so many moving parts and game cancellations and and so many negative things, I think one thing we have seen is some under-radar, under-the-radar smaller teams like the BYUs of the world that have really transcended and and to such a point the Cincinnati's. Like, these these teams are now being talked about like, hey, should they have a chance at the the college football playoff? The, The answer is no to that one. But one game that is really going to be a lot of fun next week that I just want to preview real quick, Coastal Carolina is going to be taking on Liberty, the Liberty Flames. Only one loss for Liberty so far. The Coastal Carolina Chanticleers, which for for anybody that doesn't know, apparently is a mad rooster. Um, So they are going to be facing on against the Liberty Flames. And one of the big breakout stars across the college football landscape this year is Malik Willis, the former Auburn transfer, now quarterback for the Liberty Flames, and he's going to be taking on a few a future NFLers for Coastal Carolina, talking about Teron Jackson at defensive end. C.J. Brewers had a nice season, the defensive tackle in there. There's some future guys as well. If we're talking about Coastal Carolina's offense, Isaiah Likely, who's only a junior, Grayson McCall, who's a redshirt freshman, who I think has got a lot of talent as well, and then C.J. Marable is another guy that's on the, on the NFL radar to a degree. So I, I'm really looking forward to this matchup of smaller school um, teams and Coastal Carolinas have a historic run. I, I'm I'm really 
Just looking forward to seeing the matchup because I think it could be a highly contested affair, and it's going to be the best matchup even with an NC State team. I think that Coastal Carolina plays probably the best defense that Malik Willis has seen so far. So I'm looking forward to seeing just how good Malik Willis is, the dual-threat quarterback for Liberty, and seeing just how the Coastal Carolina defenders, the defensive line specifically, can counteract how dynamic he how, how dynamic he is and can really attempt to frustrate a very talented Malik Willis. All right, guys, let's get on to this next segment, which we, we try to have a positive spin on things with prospects, but I figured it would be interesting to revisit some names that we were high on, had high expectations for. We're hoping to see them really transcend in this part of the season. We're, we're getting towards the, the back end of the year. Not a lot of guys have, have played full seasons because of some COVID issues and some cancellations, but we've got a pretty interesting list here. Three guys that we think have underwhelmed and haven't done so well the, thus far. I'm going to pitch my guy first, then we're going to go uh, to uh, to Ryan and then Alex to wrap us up. I have to go with Sean Wade, uh, Sean Wade, quarterback for Ohio State. We were expecting, I think, not particularly me, but a lot of people in the draft community were expecting Wade to come out and transition from inside corner to outside and, and look really good. He's a, he's a taller guy. He's got decent length. A lot of guys assumed that those traits were going to translate to the outside. The one thing I was asking myself at the beginning of the season, why did people just immediately assume somebody who did so well on the inside was going to work on the outside? And we're starting to see that that answer in full scope. We're starting to see that uh, um, a guy that is used to playing in the slot is not necessarily built to play outside. And the big things that we're seeing him struggle with is playing against bigger receiver, bigger receivers, not being able to play very well in in contact situations, not being able to uh, break passes up. He's getting beat pretty bad right now. He's not playing at the level that I think a lot of people expected. Some were saying that he might have the typical Ohio State cornerback draft stock trajectory where they would work themselves into the top 15 and get drafted high and have a huge impact, but we're really not seeing that from him right now. I think a lot of people now understand his impact is going to be better served if he goes to a team that is willing to put him back at that slot corner position. It just depends on how you really uh, value a slot corner. Do you take him in the first round? Do you do you look more at him as a late first round, early second round pick based on what he's done inside? That is now the big question mark because he's done so poorly on the outside. Ryan, you've got a receiver that you hyped up a ton, and I'm curious to hear uh, why you're not a big fan of him right now. <laughs> don't ton. don't poke the bear. <laughs> Wait, look, we, <laughs> we, give, we give you credit for J.C. Horn and a lot of really talented guys that you called out, but we, we got to revisit some of these guys. This is a, this is a fair one to revisit. Uh, man, so top five wide receiver in the summer for me, I think I had him at number three or number four. He was, he was high. <laughs> Uh, Tamarian Terry, wide receiver from Florida State. I, I fell in love with the size, the length, the athleticism. Legit four three guy at, at six three plus. Like there, there's a lot of things to like about Tamarian Terry, and he had a thousand yards in 2019, and, and and was just a big play waiting to happen. Twenty yards a catch. Like there was just so much to like about him, and he had a nice game his last game at Florida State against Notre Dame. But for the large part of the season. He was a non-factor. He was dealing with injuries. It was not the season that Tamarian Terry was hoping for, and now he has left the program a couple weeks ago. So now 
hey, now there's, I, I don't know if that's a character concern or if that's just like, hey, I'm opting out and I'm out of here. This is just not working out for me. So I don't know what the, the full scope of it is from a personal level. But Tamarian Terry did nothing in 2020 to do himself any favors. He, he was just banged up, ineffective. There was not a lot tangible to hold on to. I still believe in the athleticism and the size that he has that could potentially rise back to what he was um, down the road in the NFL. I just, at this point in draft stock and probably throughout the draft process, don't think that his upside is going to be anywhere near what I thought it could be. He's probably a day three flyer at this point, who's a height, uh, a height, weight, speed guy that some team will like to develop, but they're not going to depend on him early on in his career. Alex, now to wrap us up, you've got another defensive guy. Who, who are you picking that has not performed up to your expectations? Yeah, someone I was really excited about going into the season that could overtake – uh, as interior defensive lineman one by the end of the season, Alabama's Christian Barmore. Uh, over the summer, I really, really liked his flashes, but he didn't play a consistent role for that Alabama defense. He was more of a rotational guy, didn't get a lot of that snap share that that we like to see. Uh, and it's, you know, anticipating him to get more of that snap share with guys moving on to the next level, Raquan Davis, along with others along that defensive line. I, I really thought that those those flashes were going to turn into consistent production and they just haven't. Uh, he, you know, he had a, he had a decent game this past week in the iron bowl against Auburn. Uh, he got in the backfield a couple times, but he hasn't been nearly the impact that I expected. I expected this guy to really take on at top 15 type pedigree by the end of the season. And that really goes to the whole interior defensive line class as a whole. Uh, you know, I got to cheat a little bit and just tell you that uh, they're all really underwhelming. You know, you talk about Wilson from Florida State, another Florida State guy that's really disappointed. Uh, you know, there's there's really no one that's kind of solidified themselves as a first-round guy. I won't even be surprised if by season's end, I don't have a single interior defensive lineman with a first-round grade. I, I think it's been that bad for the position group It never fails. Alex always finds a way to bring up seven guys when we ask for one. <laughs> <laughs> never fails that is the that might be the best trend that we have and the best bit that we have going on this show so you know, Alex I'm going to keep encouraging it go for it if you can find a way to put 20 guys into one group go for it <laughs> I'll figure it out you know All I right, will. let's wrap us up with our stat sheet stuffers the guys that had stupid stat lines and I would like to establish here folks before you go how the heck didn't you bring up Jared Patterson for this segment well we, we established a rule because we, we talked about him in the opening segment. He is the official stat sheet stuffer of all of us on this show, but we want to give some recognition to some other guys that didn't have 400 yards rushing and eight touchdowns. <laughs> um, my guy that I want to give first, I have a running back, UTSA running back, Sincere McCormick, 23 carries, 251 yards, and two touchdowns going over 10 yards a clip. That is a hell of a day from McCormick. Ryan, your guy, where do you stand? Who is it? And it's a defensive guy, surprisingly. Yes, yeah, we don't get enough defensive love on the podcast, so I'm going to throw it over to Washington in their 24-21 come-from-behind victory. They have a defensive end edge named Zion Tupolo Fetti. We're going to call him ZTF Probably for the better. Uh, remainder <laughs> of the podcast, his history, because I am not going to say that name ever again because I know that I butchered that terribly. But I will tell you, he's number 58. He plays defensive end in the in the uh, Washington front. 
He is an odd player to a degree. He had six tackles, three tackles for loss, three sacks, and a forced fumble. He was all over the place. Listed at 6'3", 280 pounds. He's not your typical defensive end. He's got a little bit of an odd body. I know when we talked about Levi Omruzarike in the, in the summer, like I hated how Washington used him. I don't love how they use this kid either, uh, but I will say that he is definitely an NFLer up front. Where his best position is going to be the question, but for now uh, – a huge day for the young man. Again, six tackles, three tackles for loss, three sacks, and a forced fumble in their comfort behind victory uh, this past weekend. All right, Alex, who you got to wrap us up here? Yeah, you know, uh, for me, it's a smaller school guy, wide receiver Jalen Tolbert, South Alabama. Really like this matchup uh, between South Alabama, Arkansas State. Two NFL wide receivers on either side of the football. I'm a big fan of Jonathan Adams Jr. from Arkansas State, who had a big game as well. I think he had 140 yards, two touchdowns in his own right. But Jalen Tolbert, 10 receptions, 252 receiving yards, and three touchdowns in this this matchup. I, I think we we witnessed two NFL wide receivers in this game, and Jalen Tolbert, man, he really, I mean, it was splash play after splash play. I don't, I don't even think he had a more than 50 yard reception. So I mean, it was just consistent. 20 to 50 yarders uh, up and down the football field for his 10 receptions. So big game for Jalen Tolbert uh, in a game where I was watching both of those wide receivers. Yeah, he certainly deserves that recognition. I, I would argue that he, he might be the biggest stat sheet stuffer not named Jarrett Patterson on this week's show. So heck of a performance. Shout out to, to Tolbert for the big game. That, though, is going to be it from us, folks. Thank you for tuning in. As always, please go and hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to us just to stay up to date and if you like the show give us a review if you have any thoughts that you want to say oh i like it when you guys do this or maybe try doing this more feel free to give us some constructive thoughts and we will definitely take that stuff into consideration also please follow us on twitter we've got a lot of fantastic uh, content coming out um, from our two amazing social media managers alec and zach Um, at NFL Prospects Pod is the handle, and you can get tons of amazing content as well as links for our shows. You can follow us at Joe DeLeon, at Rise and Draft, and at Alex Gilstrap for our individual handles, and follow at Believe Podcasts on Twitter and Instagram. Lastly, go to Believe.com to find our show as well as hundreds of other amazing shows. If you're interested in hearing about FCS football, you can hear me, and my former teammate, Sean Anderson, talk about FCS football. But there are also a ton of other amazing hosts that are part of the network. Uh, Have a wonderful rest of your day, folks, and stay tuned for Thursday's interview coming up later in the week. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.